Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch this midweek Wednesday afternoon. Ah, oh, you will not be complaining about the sunshine now. Oh, the rain is here and she's banging down all round us here in the northeast at the moment. Yes, it's welcomed by many, of course, but I hark my mind back to last week when I was on holidays, of course, to the beautiful weather. Well, it's gone now for the time being and looks like unsettled for the coming days, at least. Welcome to the show. We have lots of chat and song and more besides over the next couple of hours. But with climate in mind and the weather in mind, I'm going to have a chat now with my first guest. He's our leading climate scientist. You'll know him well. He's a familiar face and voice on climate change. For more than 40 years, he's lectured, written and spoken extensively on the subject here at home and across the world. He's also been involved in research projects internationally and in Ireland, examining many aspects of climate change on this island. He operates from the Irish Climate Analysis and Research Unit in the Department of Geography at Maynooth University. I'm delighted to say hello to Emeritus Professor John Sweeney. John, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Jerry. Delighted to be here. And delighted to have you with us at long last. I'm really thrilled to be talking to you today. Can I ask you this to start off? I mentioned there the recent hot spell. And I think of 2018, quite recently, a hell of a summer as well. I can remember back, like yourself, to 76 and those 32.5 degrees in awfully all those years ago. And from time to time in between, really hot summers. But I ask you this, John. Is this recent hot spell a symptom of climate change? Well, it certainly has contributed to it, Jerry. I mean, you're quite right in your introduction. You talked about the change in the weather we've had over the past week. I cast my mind back to this day last week when I think we were hitting 30.8 degrees centigrade in parts of the Midlands of Ireland. And today, just looking at what's happening around us, I think it's going to be a struggle for many parts of the country, uh, even to get to 16 or 17 degrees. And I I know you've compounded things in parts of the northeast by those downpours, those thundery downpours as well. So it's an indication really of, of the way in which Irish weather and climate can change uh, so rapidly.
rapidly. And your memories are right. I mean, we, we, we remember the, the really hot summers of, of 1995, of 1976, and more recently of 2018. We don't actually remember the, the bad summers that <laughs> no. well. Um, we, we tend, I think we have a bit of a dis- a bit of a selective memory when it comes to our youth, especially, and mm. we tend to remember the good times, but not the endless rain uh, that characterised some of the summers when we were growing up. But yes, we've had uh, a whole sequence of heat waves um, that you mentioned some of there. Um, Heat waves are kind of hard to define. Um, we, we have a, a kind of rule in Ireland that if, if it's five consecutive days above 25 degrees centigrade, then we have a heat wave. And certainly uh, last week qualified quite comfortably for that. Um, but we've had nine of those events now since 1983. We had really uh, marked heat waves in 83, 89, 1995, which was the summer of the century. Um, it was just an endless summer yes. of warmth, if you remember, with drought. And then 2003, 6, 13, 17 and 18, and uh, now today. But what is important, I think, there is that <coughs> if we look at... <coughs> excuse me. If we look at those nine heat waves, um, uh, four of them have happened in the past eight years. Uh, the five previous ones were, were all before 2013. Mm. So it does look as if they're increasing in frequency. And that's something that climate scientists would be very comfortable about suggesting uh, many, many, over many years we, we've been saying this kind of thing uh, is going to be one of the consequences of climate change, that heat waves are going to become more frequent in Ireland, they're going to become more severe in Ireland as well. And um, we, we ca- your question is a very interesting question. You know, what's the role of climate change in all of this? Because um, it's one of the questions that used to really annoy me <laughs> for many, many years. Every time we had a heat wave some, or even a, a flood, somebody would phone up and say, um, is this caused by climate change? And, and climate scientists had always to be very, very conservative in how they answered that because we always had to say, well, we've had that kind of event before, before we even started messing around with the atmosphere, but it's the kind of event that we would expect to see happening more frequently in the future. And that was the stock answer that I I certainly gave the Mm. media for about 10 years, um, because that was the established scientific answer for the for the question you've just asked. But I'm I'm now delighted to be able to say that we can go a lot further than than we could in those early days, because there's been a tremendous improvement in climate science in the past uh, oh five or six years, and it's come about largely because we've got really good and very powerful new computers to run climate models on. Um, I can remember early in my career, you know, we ran a climate model once, and it might have taken hours and hours to run. We sometimes had to send the whole package outside of Ireland to get a a fast computer. And we got one result back after maybe uh, hours or even a couple of days of constant running on very fast supercomputers. Those days are gone um, because now we can run those same models, not once, but maybe 100 times, maybe 500 times 
in the same amount of, uh, of, of CPU time, of computer time. Yes. And what happens is very interesting because we can now say, OK, let's run that model with pre-industrial carbon dioxide levels uh, 500 times. Let's run it now with our current levels of greenhouse gases 500 times. How much more likely is it that the events of a heat wave in Ireland would, would be occurring now as opposed to in pre-industrial times with pre-industrial concentrations of CO2? And what the results have come out have been really quite, quite staggering um, because you get a sort of a probability increase, which is very, very substantial indeed. I mean, I know the UK... Um, did it for one of the heat wave events for the 2018 summer. And the computer said, well, look, that summer is now 30 times more likely to have occurred than it would have without the climate change influences of greenhouse gases. Mm. And that kind of a result is coming back from many, many studies elsewhere. Uh, and it's telling us that um, almost all of those extreme events of heat waves in particular, but even intense downpours of rain, they have a signature, they have a, a thumbprint, if you like, of climate change, which has added to them, which has contributed to making them more likely, more probably more severe as well than would have been the case in the absence of climate change. So, so your question now can be answered uh, really much more authoritatively yes. than it could in the past. And I think when we run those models now for the events of the last week to 10 days in Ireland, we would get a similar result. We would find that that kind of an event was much more likely to have occurred, maybe 10 times more likely than would have been the case. Uh, in, in a situation where climate change wasn't implicated. Oh, that's really, really interesting to hear. So we're in this. We can expect more frequently, as you say, in the future. But, you know, I was thinking about us chatting today and to bring it down to uh, your and my and everybody's listening level, because we know governments around the world are being looked to to legislate on this. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But what can you and I and people today listening do? I think of reduce, reuse, recycle. Uh, the electrification of cars, uh, home heating and insulation, food waste, disposable clothing. Are all those things, if we, you know, buy into those as individuals, does it help? Well, I think we're at the stage now with the climate emergency where it's a case of all of those things and more are necessary for us to tackle it. And, you know, sometimes people say to me, well, you know, what can I as an individual contribute compared mm. to maybe a large country like yes. China or India? Um, and, and the answer is, you know, it's a bit like some of the supermarket ads, every little helps. And, you know, we have a responsibility as individuals um, to play our part in addressing the problem. Uh, and we have to, to accept responsibility as well for our actions. And we have to think, well, OK, um, my actions today will have implications for a farmer in Malawi tomorrow. My actions today may make that harvest in Malawi more difficult, may cause problems for, for food supply in, in the Horn of Africa, may cause problems uh, for fires elsewhere in the world. However small that contribution is, it contributes to it. So it's rather like, you know, if you walk down the streets of Dundalk today and you, you throw away your train ticket on the ground and you say to yourself, well, 
my train ticket's not adding much to the litter problem. Uh, and, and that's the, the same issue when it comes to our own individual actions and climate. Everything we do as individuals does contribute. So everything that we can do to minimize that impact, to minimize that contribution um, is helpful. And of course, uh, it also is, is true that we can't point the finger at anybody else if we don't deliver something ourselves as well. So there's no point in us as a country pointing the finger at China and India if we have our greenhouse gas emissions going through the roof at the same time. So we all have that little bit of responsibility. And in the areas you mentioned there, well, I mean, they're, they're obvious areas that the people tend to know now. I think the most important thing probably that individuals can do is to try and improve their energy efficiency in their homes, mm. um, to, to try and not be wasting heat and wasting light and wasting energy. Get good insulation into your home and it'll pay you back in your pocket uh, over time as well. That's the first thing. And the second thing, of course, is to, is to try and minimise unnecessary consumption of, of fossil fuels, be it, you know, going to the shops, going to the school, uh, going to your work. If you can walk, if you can cycle, and, and not all of us can, and I admit that, but if it's, if it's a 50-50 call to go half a mile down the road, I'm as lazy as anybody else, and I must admit, I'm a hypocrite too. I, I sometimes get in the car when I shouldn't. But those are things that you know we, we can as individuals um, make a contribution overall to. And, and let's remember that that contribution is something that really, um, it's for the future children and grandchildren of the world today. They will feel the benefits, and they will look back maybe in, in 20 years' time and say, Granda, what did you do in 2021? Did you just sit back and do nothing or did you actually pull your weight and do your best? So I think we have responsibilities as individuals to, to try and tackle these problems. And I think, you know, we're at the stage now where we're, if we don't tackle them, they may become almost insuperable for the young people of today to tackle in 10 or 20 years' time because we're changing the world very quickly at the moment. We're at, we're at what we call tipping points in climate where if we get above 1.5 to 2 degrees, certain things happen globally. Um, we, we will lose the coral reefs. We will lose the alpine glaciers. Uh, we will lose a lot of, the, we will probably lose all of the sea ice in the Northern Hemisphere. And those will have consequences, uh, although they're far away from us in Ireland, will have consequences for our weather and climate down the road for, for the people who will come after us. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we should, as individuals, uh, not shy away from doing what we can, uh, however small, uh, to tackle the problem. We're talking climate change with our leading climate scientist, Emeritus Professor John Sweeney on Late Lunch this afternoon. John, just on a macro level, we'll talk about government here in Ireland and around the world for a moment. Uh, the new uh, climate bill enacted recently, I saw you uh, commenting on it when it was uh, in the process of going through the houses of the Oireachtas. You weren't too impressed. Are we committed to this? Do you believe our government, with a Green Party involved, are, you know, determined to make the changes needed? 
Well, I think it's uh, it's part and parcel of the deal that was done to to get the Green Party into government, and I think the climate bill in its original format was was a really good bill because it committed us to putting enshrining in law a commitment for uh, halving our emissions over the course of the next uh, over the course of the next decade, and um, I was very pleased to see it go through the. I, I followed the Citizens Assembly. I followed the Joint Oireachtas Committee on climate change. I followed the debates in the Doyle and the Shannon. And uh, it was, I think, a progressive bill, a bill which we, we could expect to transform Ireland from being the country that's at the back of the queue, the country that's negotiating for special concessions all the time, into one which was a country really looking at being a leader in climate change rather than a laggard. There was some disappointment at the very end of the process for me, which you probably are referring to me, to, to, to which was really late amendments, which kind of diluted in my mind some of the, mm-hmm. some of the provisions of the bill. But, you know, I think the, the bill has now gone through and we have to really implement it and implement it to the best of our ability because even irrespective of our national legislation, um, we're going to come under pressure from the EU uh, in the next few years to, to achieve similar reductions in our emissions anyway. So in a way, I think the debate is over about, uh, about climate change now. Uh, it's a case of we can no longer ignore it. We can no longer pretend like King Canute that we can command the future or command the waves. We simply have to get down to, to work and sort out who pays what, who, who loses what emissions, what changes in lifestyle will be necessary because it's just, just too important a topic uh, to be left on the, on the long finger any longer. So I'm quite pleased with the bill um, overall that has gone through. I mean, I, I have obviously would have liked to have seen uh, higher emission reductions envisaged in it um, because there's such a thing as what you might say is the fair share reduction because Ireland is a, a rich country, it's a developed country and it's a country which has been emitting for a much longer period of time at higher levels than some of the developing countries which are still climbing up the ladder of development. So we have to ask the question, what is our fair share of what remains of the carbon burn, if you like, that the world has left over? Because carbon, will, once we put it into the atmosphere, will, will last for several hundred years. So once it's, it's, it's another like a slogan, once it's gone, it's gone. So we have to ask ourselves, what should our share of the future carbon budget be? And I think, you know, we would be looking then at reductions um, of a higher order than even 50 percent in, in the next uh, in the next decade, probably uh, around about eight or nine percent a year rather than seven percent a year would be a more appropriate figure on equitable grounds, on grounds of climate justice. Um, as well. So, so yes, um, it, it's a step forward. It's a good step forward, but it's one which, as we know in Ireland, it's very easy to make a plan. It's another thing to implement the plan. And really, it's now down to have we got the, I suppose, the, 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 the determination uh, to see through this particular um, set of requirements that the plan implies. And I hope we do, because if we don't, um, 
it will first of all cost us money, a lot of money. Um, the EU have estimated uh, that flooding in the EU, uh, if we don't do anything in terms of tackling climate, will cost the community 48 billion euros a year by, 20, by the end of this century. And it's, only, it's about 6 billion a year at the moment. So you, you know which countries are going to be most prone to flooding in the future if we don't tackle climate change. So we would be imposing a very heavy financial burden on our future taxpayers if we don't tackle, uh, tackle that problem now. So it is essential that we make a start now because if we want to avoid that 1.5 to 2 degree value, uh, we have only a matter of a, a decade or two left of burn. And um, after that, then all of those tipping points that, that I mentioned earlier will be coming into play with consequences that we're not even sure from a scientific point of view yet uh, what they will mean for, for a country like Ireland. Uh, we do know that we've seen in the last few years the jet stream has become a bit more unstable it's wobbling a bit more it's giving us a bit more extremes uh, and of course this year we will remember 2021 as the year of weather and climate extremes um, we've seen our own heat wave at the same time as the jet stream has now dipped to the south of us um, as it moves east uh, to give the terrible floods in Germany We've seen further west, the jet stream was looping north before it reached us to give the terrible fires and heat on the west coast of the United yes. States and Canada. All of those are connected to climate. And climate is, you know, something where it's a bit like a balloon. If you kick it in one place, it'll bulge somewhere yes. else. And that's, that's the thing we have mm. to protect against in the future by, if you like, climate-proofing society in Ireland as best oh, yeah. we can. John, you're fantastic. It's been a pleasure having you with us on the show this afternoon. You make so many valid points and the, the message I take from it, it's the power of one down to all individuals to do our bit. And if we don't, well, future generations are in real trouble on this little globe of ours. John, keep uh, sending the message out that you're sending. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You're welcome, Jerry. Good luck. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Emeritus Professor John Sweeney from Maynooth University and a lot to take in there but climate change if you ever thought it wasn't something that's with us today it is a reality it is here late lunch LMFM radio stay with us on the show just had a, a call from Herlihy's pharmacy on the north side of Drogheda they have Janssen vaccines available this Sunday the 1st of August Give them a shout if you're interested in, in uh, getting vaccinated. The Janssen vaccine, they have them at Hurley's 041-9838-101. That's 041-9838-101. Give them a call to book your appointment. Now, my next guest, well, you know one of them very well. Yes, Rachel Graham, nutritionist. She's been with us the last few years. She's fantastic talking about nutrition and health. And today she's joined by another professional. Yes, Helen Martin, the beauty coach 360 is with her because, you see, the pair of them have teamed up to deal, to help ladies deal with the menopause. You know, it's been a big topic since earlier on in the year when it dominated the airwaves on national radio and television. And the girls, based in Dundalk, are making great strides forward with their new initiative. It's called Back to Life and they're going to tell us more. Rachel and Helen, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Jerry. How are you? Hi, Jerry. Good to talk to you again, Rachel. And for the Ooh. first time to you too, Helen. Rachel. And tell- lovely to be here, Jerry. Oh, uh, yeah. Great to have you with us. It really is today. This Zoom thing is fantastic altogether, isn't it? I can't see yeah. us, but I know you're there and I'm listening to your dulcet tones for the next while and so are the listeners. Anyway, Rachel, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Tell us about this liaison between the pair of you and how it's come about and what it's all about. Okay, so um, Helen and I joined forces back in March and we brought out 10 free masterclasses. And it was a series uh, that was totally focused on women um, in midlife to help them kind of feel better about themselves in terms of their improving their nutrition and their skincare and their all around well-being. And uh, every week we had a theme um, that we covered from how to improve your sleep to reducing stress to improving digestion and liver support. Um, we covered everything and it was such a huge success and our numbers were growing every week. And the response at the end of it was that, you know, we, you know, we, we want you to keep going and we kind of wanted to keep going. We really enjoyed working together. And um, so we said, OK, let's start a kind of free community. And uh, that's what we've done. So we've started a free community. It's called Back to Life. And uh, you can check us out on uh, Back to Life is back hyphen to hyphen life dot IE. That's our website. And you it's you can just go on to that and have a look around and you can join our community from there. And our community is hosted on a mighty network, which enables us to to feature um, monthly uh, guests, uh, guest experts in, in all sorts of different areas from sleep experts to um, um, mental health experts to we've had alternative therapies like tapping. We've have, have a stylist coming in. We have a behavioral change expert. We have all of these experts contributing their knowledge as well. So it's really grown just from our little kind of starting phase um, to, to where we are now. And we're still only really a few months in. So it's been phenomenal, I have to say. Really great. That's great to hear. Helen, you know, I've spoken in the past, it uh, goes back a few years to Ashling Grimley from my second spring. I don't know whether you're familiar with her, but she's yes. been working in this area for a number of years. Helen, what do you think it is that, you know, you know, when this welled up earlier in the year, do you think it, it was a fact that women just were a little embarrassed to talk about it? You know, just sort of put up and shut yeah. up. You know what I'm yeah, getting I at? Think it comes from, it's a generational um, thing, Jerry. I think um, with women in Ireland, particularly and I know from my experience with my mum and her mum, they didn't really talk an awful lot about menopause. It was just mm. something that you went through and, you mm. know, um, you just kind of got on with things. And I think women now are speaking up and we're, we, we're reaching a life stage where we actually want to make changes. We, we feel that we have a little more time our kids are getting older you know if we do have children and we have that little bit of time to look at our own lives and to look at how we can make positive changes and to get a little bit of time back for ourselves as well which is very important and I think you know as a mother myself you know you do kind of put things off when you are rare in your family yes. and you know and I'm not saying the kids still need you obviously but you do have that little bit of extra time where you can say it to yourself you know what I'm just going to take a bit of time out now to look after my skin, to look after my nutrition, maybe to join an exercise class. And all these things really do help in dealing with the menopausal symptoms. Mm -hmm. I'm in beauty now 20 years and 
um, a lot of clients who come to me are looking to make changes in their skin. They reach menopause and they feel, oh my God, I've neglected myself for years. Now I need some help. And that's what myself and Rachel are here to do. We're here to support them in a positive way. And a healthy aging is a big thing for me. So, you know, going down the road of um, treatments that can help, how you can make changes yourself in your skin at home. You know, so I will give advice on skincare devices, products um, that they can use at home, but also that they can get in salon as well. You know, if they want to zoop up their yes. skincare routine and very simple changes, because a lot of women out there are you know, they're, they may not be great with their skincare routine and simple little changes can make a huge difference to um, to your skin. And, you know, going through menopause, the skin will go through so many changes as well. Mm-hmm. Our bodies change in so many ways and it does come through on our skin. You know, you might have dryness, skin sensitivities, acne coming back that you might have had when you were a teenager or you might not have had it all. You know, hormonal acne um, is a big issue with women going through menopause. And also, we can't forget the lines and wrinkles, Jerry. I mean, yeah. <laughs> tell me about it. The, tell me about it. The you, major ones that you, everybody wants help with. You, you, know? you girls don't have to shave every morning. <laughs> I tell you that you're lucky. I've said this before. Talk about them building up. I know all about what you're talking about. But let's focus on the on the the fair sex as we're talking about today. Uh, Rachel, look at you, yourself and Helen. Really hand in glove. You complement each other immensely. And we've talked yeah. about this from your nutritional perspective in the past. You know, like. Uh, Helen mentioned a word, there, a word there called neglect. The other thing I was saying, you know, uh, muddle through this, put up with it, that type of, uh, you yeah. know, mindset as well. There is no need. You can live through and work through menopause, can't you, Rachel, so well? Yeah, exactly. You see, I, I, what you were saying at the beginning, menopause really is a taboo subject, even amongst women. And that's the thing, you know, women just don't really want to talk about it because Mm. I think when you say the word menopause, you immediately associate yourself with being uh, old, being, you know, uh, just invisible. And, you know, it's kind of admitting that you're old and uh, and women just don't want to admit that, you know. So but there is no taboo subject around menopause. The thing about it is is that it needs to be addressed uh, because, you know, having said that, menopause is a very individual life stage because some Mm. women will suffer with every single known symptom in the book and currently jerry they're running at around 43 different known symptoms which is insane um and some women will experience all of those and other women will experience maybe only one or two or will completely sail through it unscathed so it is a very individual journey um, but what I will say is that if you are experiencing um, menopause symptoms, and by the way, you will start noticing little things that you may not even associate with menopause from the age of 41, 42. Um, and you can be in that stage, you know, up until the age of 50, 51. So it can last for a decade, you know, and you don't need to put up with any of these symptoms. You just simply need to inform yourself. And that is our message to educate yourself so that you can be prepared. And that's what our community is trying to do. We're trying to give women a place where they can come, where we can share information. We pour all of our value and all of our knowledge into that group um, every single week. And, you know, we are, you know, we have just so much going on and you can be excited again because we're going to help you. We're going to help get you through this life stage. 
stage and actually not just get through it, but actually that you're going to thrive and feel amazing again. And that's what it's all about. Backtolife.ie, I want to say, and there's hyphens in there. It's back-to-life.ie, just to tell listeners. That's where all the information is. Helen, in a practical sense, how does it work? And in these restrictive times, how do your community engage? How do you engage with them? Yeah, well, um, that's the good thing. I think we've learned so much during um, the last year and a half on how we can actually communicate online. And it's fantastic, Jerry. So when you sign up to join our community, it is a private platform. And, you know, everybody is there to support each other. Um, during our first uh, challenge, when we did launch our Back to Life uh, community, it was um, a water challenge and we could choose um, an accountability buddy. So it gave, you know, our our um, members, our members um, a chance to meet up with each other and to choose an accountability buddy where they might text each other, send each other a little message right. um, to see how they were going on. Now, we host all these live events um, through our um, network, the Mighty Network, and it gives people a chance to um, attend the live event, but also to chat. So they use the chat box to be able to um you know, ask questions and interact with us as well. So and, it, and, it and works it, really well. Yes, and in a way, may I say, it opens up a wider community than you ever possibly could. It does, because we yeah. can reach more people, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, you know, on a national level, because it's, you know, whereas, you know, if you're doing something, um, an event in a hotel or mm. in a, a physical place, you're only getting people maybe in your locality. Yes. So this way we can reach a lot more people very easily. So mm. it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's a free community. Did I say the word free there, folks? I said it free. There is. You it can is. just join <laughs> and away you go. That's the fantastic thing about it. Rachel, yeah. you've you've said to me that really uh, uh, during lockdown and that and we've been tic-tacking on the nutrition and that. But you've yeah. migrated this direction. Yes, absolutely. So more and more of my clients were coming to me in this live stage. And I've always been very interested in women's health anyway. Um, and then, you know, I'm in this life stage myself. So, you know, I'm fully invested and, you know, I'm very passionate about the, the topic and, you know, just dealing with my own uh, symptoms and, uh, you know, actually being able to support myself effectively using diet and lifestyle. And then, you know, uh, with Helen's help and her knowledge on, you know, the, her as an anti-aging skincare specialist, you know, we just really complement each other in what we're doing. So we're both actually kind of share similar audiences. And I just thought, you know what, let's just, you know, do this together. It really makes sense to me. And thankfully, you know, my clients and my audience have really been, um, you know, really receptive to it. And this is the area that I'm going to continue in. So women's health, particularly, you know, with an emphasis on menopause, digestive health, heart health and uh, and also mental health as well, because it plays such a, a huge part in, in, in menopause. So, yeah. And Helen, yeah. Uh, one of you mentioned there, you know, uh, child rearing, if you have children here, you come through and that's tough in itself. And then they reach an age when you reach an age where menopause kicks in and there's another challenge ahead of you then. And, you know, I suppose for a long time, some ladies feel, you know, oh, I've just had you know, such responsibility and pressure on me for years. It may be a little bit hard to just get going again, Helen. Absolutely. Women do lose a lot of confidence. Yeah. You know, as they go through life, rearing their families. And when you get to this life stage, you need a group there to support and encourage. 
in such a positive way because it is very hard to put yourself back out there, Jerry. And, you know, I feel what myself and Rachel are doing is given that support that is badly needed to mm, women yeah. um, who really feel a bit lost in life at times. And as Rachel said, it's it's mental health. It's, you know, creating that, bringing that confidence back. And as a beauty therapist, I am very aware of the whole 360 degree approach to beauty and to skincare. And that's where the Beauty Coach 360 came from, because it's just not about applying a product or going for a treatment. It is a whole person approach, Mm. your health, your nutrition, your exercise, and that all impacts the skin. And, you know, I do think women out there need um, a group um, like us that they can feel safe and Mm. that they can grow and become more confident in themselves. It, you know, it's it's badly needed. Yeah. So. Oh no! Look, I, I, I uh, when Rachel uh, uh, broached this with me, I was very keen, and I'm delighted to introduce it to our listeners today. And we will be back to you for sure. And just I want to remind listeners again: backtolife.ie. That's back t o back hyphen t o hyphen life.ie back to life with hyphens yeah. between the words dot ie uh, check it out join up you'll be welcomed into the group and there's yeah. a lot going on there really is, is. look I yeah. thank you both for joining me oh thanks Jerry thank it was you, great, Jerry. great to be on not thanks at again. all talk to you soon again thank you Rachel thank you Helen that's Rachel Graham there and Helen Martin the ladies behind back to life dot ie so glad we made it look how far we've come Ah, it's still so lovely, isn't it? All these years later, yes, her third single from the album Come On Over, released in 1997. That single came out on the 27th of January, 1998. It made number two in the USA, still considered Shania Twain's biggest hit of all time, hers. And it won two Grammys, nominated for 412 timeless it is indeed and she's back on the scene I see lately Shania as well new music coming and an album etc and we wish her well she's a fantastic lovely sweet voice still to come on late lunch this afternoon yes the Beatles my artists of the week Amy Murnahan is skydiving for a very special reason she's a great story Joe Corrigan yes is building little cottages at his home in Anagas and we're going to hear about it on the show and Sinead Kelly our vet is with us shortly as well have you a question for Sinead I have them they're coming to me already if you want to put a question to Sinead she's with us shortly she'd answer the phone book to be honest with you she's simply brilliant as you know 086-1800-658 WhatsApp or text me to the show if you have a question you can call in as well on 1850-715-958 congratulations to our rowers the four ladies who won our first Olympic medal earlier today. It's a great achievement to win an Olympic medal. For anybody who has had the honour, it is simply fantastic because you're up against the best of the best in the world. And we've done well, haven't we, in the rowing in recent years. I'm confident there'll be a boxing medal or two as well and perhaps more besides. But they're doing their very best out there. And I meant to mention Mona McSharry yesterday. Eighth in the world, 20 years of age. Paris, here she comes. Watch out for that young woman. And you can see stars in the making of the future. The Olympics, no crowds, but they're still great. People love them. Many, many millions tuned in across the world. And I'm watching myself and enjoying the competition. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Yes, we're heading to our next break. And she's uh, ready to go after. Sinead Kelly, our vet, is with us next. 
I'm delighted to say hello again to one of our most valued regular contributors to Late Lunch over the years, Vet Sinead Kelly. Hello again, Sinead. Hi, how are you, Jerry? I'm really good. Sinead, straight to it. I'm nearly emotional reading this first question to you from a listener. Listen to this. Uh, we had two Labrador retrievers. They were litter sisters, 11 years of age. Sadly, we had to put one of them asleep two weeks ago. Oh, oh and I wonder if Sinead could advise us, should we get new company for Molly? Right, OK. Well, I suppose it depends what kind of dog Molly was uh, before. Was she just happy with the other dog and they were a little kind of pack, a little group and gang? Or did she also like meeting other new dogs? So you probably should have an idea from that yourself. What was she like when she met other dogs out on walks? Did she like to speak to them for a minute or 10 minutes or did she get fed up? Um, so you'll have some idea from that. If, if she was a dog that was quite sociable with other dogs, I would definitely think about getting a new one. But what I would probably do is, um, I mean, for many reasons, I always say go to the rescue rehoming centres because there's so many unwanted dogs in this country and yet people are spending a fortune on, on pedigree dogs of a certain kind just to, to look a certain way or be a certain way and, and then consequently loads and loads and loads of unwanted dogs end up uh, being, being put to sleep unfortunately because nobody wants them. But one of the many good things about... Uh, um, the, the rehoming centres is that a lot of them are able to do kind of assessments and see what the dogs are like with other dogs and you can probably, uh, certainly I know uh, the Dogs Trust for example, if you have an existing dog or a cat even, they encourage you to come in with the existing pet and meet the new dog and see exactly did they get on or not get on. So I would certainly not leap into it. I would have a look back and see what Molly was like with other dogs in the past and you will have a good idea yourself and then I would um, see can you arrange, if you, if you do find one that you think you're interested in, see can you arrange a prospective meeting. That's probably the best thing to do. There's no guarantees. So uh, a bit mm. like people, um, dogs form friendships with some dogs and not with others. Um, having said that, you tend to have two fairly big groups of dogs, i.e. ones that have been well socialised and are able to interact and be you know, sensible and communicate properly with other dogs. And they're normally ones who have grown up with other dogs or have been socialised to them you know, before the kind of critical phase of about four months. If you get a dog who was kind of brought up in isolation or never really met any other dogs apart from his own mum and, and siblings, um, you know, even as early as 16, 20 weeks, if they've not met, you know, other dogs in a, in a multiple of situations, they can end up being fearful, anxious, nervous, and then consequently that can turn itself into, into aggression in some circumstances. So uh, you'll know yourself what Molly's personality is like. If, if she was happy with the dogs, definitely consider it, but definitely go for a situation where you can introduce them before you choose to, to take the, the new dog finally so you can see, well, are they going to get on? Uh, and when you do, if you do decide to go ahead, then um, definitely do it on a kind of very kind of controlled, gradual basis and maybe even get the advice of a, of a behaviourist a veterinary behaviourist will be able to give you good advice on a kind of gradual introduction and, and things like that. So, so yeah, have a, have, a, have a bit of an investigation. You'll know some of the information yourself and then um, as they go somewhere where you can mm. let uh, Molly and the new dog kind of meet and get to know each other. Like I say, some people are sociable creatures, some yes, dogs are. Exactly. Uh, some people are not and some dogs are not. <laughs> and even within nice. the ones that are sociable creatures, Sometimes, like us, they just take a dislike yes, to another dog, you know, yes. and there's no rhyme or reason to it, you know, mm. so you have to be careful. Don't just presume that because Molly got on with the other little dog that you've lost, that she's going to get on with another one, you okay. know, so, so think about it very carefully. Good advice there. Hi, Jerry. Can you ask Sinead how long it takes for a 14-month-old collie to lose his coat? He seems to be taking so long at this time, and is there anything I can do? OK, 
Okay, well, I suppose it depends what they mean a little bit. I mean, essentially, most dogs will have a kind of molt, apart from the few breeds that don't molt, like kind of Maltese and Bichon and, and the little poodles and things, most of them will have a bit of a molt kind of spring, summer, and then late summer, autumn. Um, now, actually, during that period, um, if you don't kind of brush them and brush out the old dead coat, you can end up with, with a tufty, scraggly dog who's got a mixture of old coat and new coat. So hopefully you've been brushing your dog on a regular basis, in which case you'll have most of the old coat out. Um, if you have been doing that and if you've got rid of the old coat and still you're getting a lot of molting it may just be that you've got a dog who molts a lot so I, I, I think what you need to find out is exactly what's going on now if you think the dog is itchy or has ball patches you need to contact the vet if it's just a matter of you're, you're getting lots and lots of, of uh, hairs being molted and you're getting a mixture of, of kind of summer coat and winter coat or old coat and new coat you probably need to maybe go to a groomer's and get the old coat you know the, the, the last season's coat as it were stripped out and then get the new one coming through but it may just be unfortunate that you have a dog who, who molts a lot so uh, certainly look after skin care first of all if the skin is okay then you don't need to see the vet if the skin is itchy sore inflamed you won't see the vet if the skin is okay but the, the, the coat is not you know pristine and by pristine I mean we've no tufts we've no mats we've no um, you know kind of uh, greasiness we've no kind of dandruff um, then that, that would if, if you have any of those things you need to go to a professional groomer and get that all attended to um, so I think once you've got all that sorted you'll know then whether you've just got a dog who's just a heavy motor yes. and if you have that there's not a huge amount you can do I'm afraid apart from every day bring them outside trim them out uh, and hoover like Jesus. I'm afraid <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Sinead Here's another one Justin we have an 8 month old collie how much Sinead should we feed him and what would you recommend 8 month okay, old Okay well yeah um, a lot of so at eight months, really, I would say they should be getting two meals a day. Uh, so their daily ration will be divided into two. Now, the question of how much to feed them is totally going to depend on what kind of food they're on. So normally, I would recommend certainly the, the best thing for their teeth and for an economic point of view would be a complete dry diet. And I think we've said this before, you get, you get what you pay for. So the top end of the market, you'll have like the Royal Cannons and the Waltham and the Hills, um, and, and they will be excellent quality. And essentially, they're more expensive because they get the, the higher quality protein from the abattoir, which essentially, you know, is where the protein source comes from, the dog's food, whether it be uh, chicken or beef or, or whatever the protein source is. You know, dogs are, or are carnivores or omnivores, so, but they do need, need a, a kind of meat protein source. So it's not a complete dry diet. It's as simple as you have got to see on the, the manufacturer's advice how much they advise that you feed for a dog of a certain weight. And, and, the, and the amount they give will be based on the assumption that that dog is, is a kind of normal or, or middle-of-the-range condition score. So we condition score dogs on a scale of one to five, with three being kind of ideal, you know, perfect body condition, uh, one being, you know, very, very skinny, kind of bordering on, on, on underweight or emaciated, and five being obese. So if you look at all those different things. So obviously, let's say you have a 10-kilo dog and you've bought the Hills um, Maintenance Science Plan. If you look on the side of that bag, it will tell you how many grams of that food to give that dog per day. I would then divide it into two. If, if your 10-kilo dog actually should probably be an 8-kilo dog, then you're looking to, to, to get the amount to be fed for an 8-kilo dog. So you need to, I suppose, if you're not able to make that assessment yourself, and sometimes as owners we're not very objective about it, and we kind of might, a bit like ourselves, I suppose when we look in the mirror, we might maybe not recognise that maybe we're a bit overweight or a bit under 
underweight. But all of the of the complete dry diets will have a feeding guide on the side of them, certainly the better quality ones. If you're getting, you know, and I know I've, I've no problem with the very, very cheap and cheerful uh, dry dog foods, and a lot of dogs will cope fine with them, but a lot of the dogs that maybe have sensitive skin or sensitive gut, they, they won't do well or they won't thrive on the cheaper ones. And essentially the diets, the dry diets that are cheaper are cheaper because they're literally getting scrapings off the factory floor. And I'm sure you don't want to know what goes into that. No. But, you know, it's lower quality protein. If you want to feed your dog a mixture of dry and wet or a complete wet food, the disadvantage of a complete wet diet is that you don't get enough, or you don't get as much kind of cleaning of the teeth when they're eating. And essentially there's more kind of water and and, and kind of um, just kind of gunky stuff in, in the food. And they tend to then pass more frequent bowel motions and they're more bulky and voluminous bowel motions. Um, so again, really, from a tooth point of view, from a kind of fecal output point of view, from an economic point of view, the complete dry diet is what I would advise. There are also some people who go for the raw food diet, of which there are many critics and many um, you know, supporters. I would not be in favour of raw food diet, um, basically because of, of the risk of kind of bacterial contamination to the humans in the house and, and also to the dog from eating raw uncooked meat. And also the risk of bones. You know, there's a number of incidences of, of, of dogs having obstructions or having issues with, with, uh, with eating uh, bones that splinter. Um, but essentially, you know, really, what you feed your dog, it's not going to be like I'm going to be able to say like a 10 kilo German Shepherd puppy or a 10 kilo, um, you know, Cocker Spaniel. They're going to require different amounts of different foods, depending A, on what the food is and depending B, on what their body condition score is, really. Uh, and then if you have a dog like Cleo, who's, uh, yeah, I love my dry food, but only mix chicken in with it, then obviously you have to cut back a little bit on your dry ration because you're already giving her some, some calories and, and yes. protein and everything in, in the form of chicken. So uh, if you're anyway unsure, uh, vets are a great point to start. Uh, most of the vets will have um, a vet nurse run uh, Weight Watchers Clinic uh, and they're able to give you advice on whether your dog is of the ideal weight and they can give you lots of advice on, on diet and things like that. So well, the there you are. I've learned something today. <laughs> weight Watchers for dogs. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an absolute roaring, roaring um, event, you know, Weight Watchers. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, definitely. Anyway, let's get another one in before we finish. This is interesting. Our 12-week-old kitten, Jerry, jumped from the landing in our house 15 to 20 feet to the hallway floor oh, a couple of weeks ago. What a shock. Uh, was in distress for a time. Is limping since, but no pain when you touch the limb mm. that they're limping on. What would Sinead think? Okay. Often people say to me, uh, oh, my dog or cat is limping, but they're not sore. And actually, they just contradict themselves. Because a limp, if you're limping on a leg, it essentially means yes. that you're favouring the leg, you're putting less weight on that, and you're putting less weight in it because it's painful. Um, and that's what we do as humans if, if, if we twist our ankle, or, you know, or it's what horses do, what dogs, what cats do. So, so it's wrong to say that the kitten is not sore. Um, so I am presuming that she's putting some weight on it. Um, but I would definitely get a vet check because it may be, especially in a kitten, where the bones can be very soft. It's possible to get like a little chip fracture or a little fracture within the joint. Um, you know, so, so that could be there when it hasn't been picked up. Or it's possible just to get, say, ligament damage, um, you know, the lateral ligaments of, of, say, if it was, a, I can't remember if the owner said if it was a front leg or a back leg, but essentially, say, your, your carpal joint, um, which is like your, your wrist joint, uh, your stifle joint, which is like your, your knee joint, um, your ankle. Which is which is your hock in the dogs uh, and cats? There'll be lateral, medial.
individual and lateral collateral ligaments and so often they can be torn or stretched um, and then you can get problems just with the muscles and the tendons so we can either have like what we call a soft tissue injury um, or we can have a you know a, a kind of actual bony um, injury so I certainly would, would make an arrangement or make an appointment with the vet just to check and see is there anything else going on just mainly because as I say especially with kittens and puppies if there is a problem or if there's been some trauma sometimes you can get damage to the growth plate which is all of us have a little growth plate at the top and the bottom of all our long bones that includes dogs and cats um, and essentially when we've stopped when we become skeletally mature the growth plates close over and we stop growing but if you have a traumatic event that affects a growth plate it can affect the growth and so maybe part of that growth plate will close over and part of it will stay open so what that then means is that you may get an animal that basically the, the bone in that leg will grow at different rates from one side to the other or maybe say if you look at the forearm where you'd have the radius and the ulna sometimes the radius will keep growing but the ulna won't or vice versa so okay. I think it's definitely important to get the little kitten assessed, assessed by the vet Sinead you're great and I have more questions I'm going to have to hold them over till next time round which I will and I will put them to Sinead Kelly but for the moment thank you so much for your kindness to us again today you're Sinead. very welcome I'll talk to you soon Jerry. take thank care you. of yourself bye bye that's bye, Sinead bye, bye. Kelly there I will I have more questions I'll hold them for Sinead I have them here I've printed them I'm going to keep them and I'll put them to her next time round late lunch LMFM radio he's building in his own front garden What's he up to? Joe Corrigan. Anna Gasson is awash with wag and he's making the national newspapers as well. He's with us next. I'm an avid reader of the Irish Times, I have to say, and I picked it up the weekend and I looked at this man and I said, I know that fella. That's Joe Corrigan. It's our column Corrigan's dad. I never knew he was into building construction. Joe, good afternoon. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for taking That's our call great. today. Well, tell Not us to tell them they're listening. They want to know what are you up to. Well, I just do as a hobby. I, I build some thatched uh, cottages. That's the that's the main uh, objective, you know. Yeah, I just like building houses, and it's pastime. It's it's just a hobby, Jerry. More than anything else, you know. Joe, they're lovely. They're absolutely lovely. They really are. Did you are. see them? Did you see them? Oh, my God, did I see them as right? I've been checking them out since. <laughs> they're brilliant. You have you have a real okay. skill and talent, actually. These are miniatures. Ah, uh, they're miniature houses, yeah. Yes. Just, I, have a, I have a kind of a love for touch houses, you know. Well, mm. If I'm out for a drive or anything, if I see a touch house around, I kind of take an interest in it, you know. Yeah. It's an old tradition, I suppose, you know, of attached uh, uh, houses, you know, so yeah. I just check them over, you know, and mm. have a look, you know. I'd look at it attached houses before I'd look at a modern house. Ah, <laughs> oh, good yeah. man, Joe. And, you know, <laughs> they are becoming rarer and rarer all the time, as, as you rarer. do know. They are. Yeah, surely. They but, are. But they stand that. out. But they stand out, Joe, when you do see them and they're well looked after. Now, the, the miniatures you have, are they all modelled on actual houses, Joe? Not particularly, no. Right. No, I just... I just invent my own design, really, you know. Good. Um, generally, touch houses are pretty plain. Like, I mean, they're yeah. just a roof and four walls, if you know what I mean, you know. Yeah. That's the normal in them, you know. But uh, I would uh, I would just design them in my own imagination, you know. Yes. And colour, and colour. You have to try and find, uh, you know, colour for them, the right colours and that, you know. Yes. And there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of the old houses would be the green windows and doors and, Mm. Maybe red windows, you know, and yeah. they were colours. And of course, white was white, you know. Yes, white. yes. And and Joe, and most, mo- sorry, most of them had half doors. A good lot of the old houses. Yeah, I, I can vaguely remember them like that myself mm. as well. How long are you at this? 
Oh, I'm doing a couple of years, Jerry. Uh, mm. yeah, two or three, I suppose three years or so I'd be doing them, you know. And how many have you? Oh, well, I have a good few. Well, I, I have some on display. You see, when I started to make them first, I was making them in the shed at the back of the house. And uh, I was talking to a fellow one day, and he said, so what's the point in putting them, leaving them sitting in there, you know? Why not put them on show uh, somewhere? You know, people will see them, you know? So I brought them out to the side of the house then, which is close enough to the road. And look, uh, they, they took off straight away, Jerry. They, I, I didn't realise how famous I could. <laughs> <the way laughs> I, you know. Joe, so there you so are. Famous. Not, not me, the houses I'm talking about. <laughs> no, Joe, you're famous. Come on, don't <laughs> be trying to play it down. You're famous now. You're making national news with, with oh, these. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are, you are. And look I, at Joe, will I, I tell you? I, sorry, I got, I got a shock last week. Oh, last Friday, I think it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the papers pulled up with the... Uh, cameras and came in and asked me whether he care to take yeah. some pictures, you know, so I was famous I was famous for one day anyway. Ah, not at all, you know? not at all. You've always been famous and you'll be famous know, forever. Right. Here, they're asking me here, I'm getting messages already, are you selling them? Hmm. Yeah, well, not, I didn't, I didn't set out to sell them, Jerry. Now, there's people wanting to buy them all the time, you know. I, I, I do sell a few of them, Jerry, you know. Mm. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not starting the business at this stage in <laughs> my life, Jerry, you know. But, but I mean, you could sell them no bother, you yes, know. Yes, like, yes. People come and they, and they want, they want to, you know, they want to buy some. And mm. unless somebody really puts pressure on me, I, I, I'll sell them, you know. Well, there's Angela, there's Mary, there's Marie mm. coming to me and they're all saying they love them and uh, they'd like to find out more about them as well. And, and you know what? Down, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> you heard of the quintessential cottage industry. Well, Joe, you are mm. an actual miniature cottage industry now. Miniature cottage, I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're a great, uh, they're a great attraction, you know. Yeah. Only, only ten minutes ago, there, uh, two people stopped, two ladies stopped in the car, and and uh, you can see them looking over, and then you see the cameras coming out, then you know, yeah. or the phones, and and they come across the road, and some of them will be, you know, quite no problems taking stuff. Others are trying to take them so to hide them that we, we don't see them. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes. They come across and they want to take a quick snap and get away as quick as in case they're intruding, do you know? But look, they're there for everyone to take ah, a picture, Jerry, you know? Ah, they're lovely. They I, really are lovely. But last, it could have been the year before, Jerry, uh, a bus uh, stopped uh, full of Chinese people. There was about 70 or 80 people in the bus and they all got out and asked, could they come in, Jerry? Well, yeah. There was, I hadn't a clue what they were talking about, Jerry. But no. <laughs> anyway, the visual did it all. Joe, Anna Gasson is where they are. If people want to see them, they can they call by. Joe, God bless you. Thank you very much. Success, okay. continued success with your new business. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> bye. Okay, bye, 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 bye. Billy Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gather round and started talking, that's when Billy would take me walking. Out through the backyard we go walking. Then he look into my eyes. Lord knows to my surprise, the only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher. 
Let's stay on the music theme on late lunch and continue the story in my words of the Beatles this afternoon, my featured artists of the week. Besides unprecedented success in the music world, the Beatles also cracked the the, uh, movie game with A Hard Day's Night, becoming an international success in 1964. In 65, Lennon, Harrison and Starr began using the psychedelic drug LSD and became regular users. Not good. McCartney didn't, but he did try it later on and spoke about its pros and cons. A second movie called Help in 65 wasn't as successful as the first and controversy ensued when Queen Elizabeth made them MBEs at the behest of then Prime Minister Harold Wiltzel. A lot of the toffs in the UK weren't happy and they gave back their awards themselves. The group's third US tour opened to a then world record concert going crowd of 56,000 at Shea Stadium, the new Shea Stadium in New York City. In October of the same year, they returned to studio recording Rubber Soul, a seminal album, different, deeper and more philosophical than anything they'd ever laid down before. The Beatles, well, they courted controversy, refusing to play to segregated audiences in the United States. It was a big thing at the time, but they wouldn't relent on that. They snubbed political invitations as they toured and caused a furore in the US and around the world with Christians. When Lennon said in 1966, we're more popular than Jesus now, Christianity will go. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick. A severe backlash ensued and Lennon ultimately had to apologise and the Beatles rolled on for a few more years. Today, here's Lennon and McCartney combining brilliantly on the opening track from the bands. I'm going back to their debut album in 1963. I love it. One, two, three, five. Yeah, that's what I call music. The Beatles, absolutely brilliant. I saw her standing there, my featured artist of the week, on late launch this week. They were just something else. Nothing like them before or since in my book. And there's some fantastic artists, of course, in this country and across the world. But the Beatles are trailblazers indeed. More about them in uh, words and song on late lunch round about this time tomorrow we have a very special request in yes they're listening in New York I know they listen on the east coast of America to late lunch expats Patrick Reed and the crew in Poughkeepsie New York want to say a big hello to Joe Corrigan Joe he's a new industry a cottage industry going in Anagassin to Bridie Colm Elaine and all in Anagassin lovely work Joe from Patrick Reed and the crew in New York City listening on the phone to us online today lovely to hear from you in nyc and thanks for getting in touch and joe's going to be busy with those cottages now i promise you final break of the day on late lunch and we've a great story to come she's skydiving tomorrow for a very special reason amy murnahan nee keenan she's probably better known as keenan is joining me next amy keenan hello Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you for joining me on the show. Can I Thanks take you... Oh, not at all. Delighted to talk to you today. What a story you have, Amy. Take me back to tomorrow a year ago. 
Um, yep, yeah, so this time last year I actually got a phone call to come into hospital and um, to get the news that uh, I was being diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia um, with just six weeks to my wedding. Um, I'm, I'm now 30 but I was 29 at the time so it was a massive shock. I had no idea. Um, my only symptoms were tiredness. Um, and thank God just for other uh, medical issues that I was getting my bloods checked and that was how it was discovered. Um, so that's the main background to the yes, story. Yes, and your gut told you, didn't it? You suspected, you know, you've been regularly monitored for years, mm-hmm. I know, but you just felt there was something different. Yeah, like I was I was just extremely tired and I kept saying to like my family and friends, I'm so tired, I'm so tired. But I just thought maybe, you know, from working for so long and then all of a sudden with COVID being off, I was like, maybe this is my body starting to rest finally or something. Um, and then I just said it to my husband about a week or two before, I, re- I honestly think I'm really sick, but I, I don't know if that's just in my head. And I said, I need to get that out of my head. Um, but obviously my gut was telling me the truth. Mm. And you had to face that news alone. Yeah, so because of COVID and because I had, so it was neutral levels that was showing in my bloods that they were lowering and lowering, um, which is your immune system. And because I had that, I actually had a sore throat. So I did mention it on the phone to the consultant that rang me. And um, they said, OK, I'll have to come in through the COVID ward. So I had to say goodbye. All my family was outside and I had to hug them all and say goodbye and go in and get my COVID test and receive that news by myself. Um, and it was probably the hardest part of my diagnosis. My diagnosis. <laughs> Sorry, mm. I still find it hard sometimes. Oh, I'm not surprised, Amy, at all. And then to come out and break the news to everybody as well. Shocking, shocking. So you're, you, you, you undergo treatment then straight away? Yeah, so they said that they were, they acute myeloid leukaemia, that it was quite aggressive and they wanted to start, start me on my chemotherapy immediately. So I stayed that night in hospital and the following morning I got a bone marrow taken and a pick line put into my arm for obviously the medication and different things. And I started the chemo that morning um, and that ran for 10 days was my first chemo and then after that, I ended up getting a really bad infection. Um, and then I just, my infection had just cleared up in time for me to actually get married. So you um, went ahead and with had the wedding? Absolutely, yeah. Um, our wedding had, we had actually just cancelled the whole original wedding. Um, and I just, I wasn't able to get my wedding dress or anything like that because it was still in the shop. And I just wouldn't have been fit to wear it. It would have been too heavy. Um, so my sister actually went and got me a dress online and between my family and Dean's family, they all organised our wedding and it was perfect. There was a wee marquee at my home house and there was 18 of us and it was just brilliant. Ah, oh, lovely memories. Tell them how much you spent on the dress. <laughs> um, well, actually, I spent nothing, believe it or not, but my sister. <laughs> In fairness, she spent 30 euro on my wedding dress. No, girls, 30 euro, and she looked amazing. I've seen the pictures as well. Anyway, you're some woman for one woman. The treatment goes on, and you're doing well. I am. I'm doing great now since Christmas. I got home on Christmas Eve. Um, so it was a very emotional Christmas. It was great to be around all my family. My sister, again, she was after having a wee baby, Sophie. And we were all at home for Christmas and together. And that was the main thing for me. That was my goal. And we got there. So ah, it was you great. did indeed. And tomorrow is the anniversary. But like, just as Amy Keenan 
you know, would do in her life. She's not doing something ordinary tomorrow. <laughs> Tell them what you're doing. Um, well, I was actually having a lot of anxiety coming up to the date that I was diagnosed. I was feeling the fear or scared of what was going to be said to me or in case I got another phone call on that day and I said, well, I'm going to scare the crap out of myself in some other way. <laughs> so I'm doing a skydive for carrot cancer. Yes. So um, with the support of my husband, Dean, um, my brother, Stephen, my sister, Ashling, and a friend of ours, Jason Kelly, we're all going to jump out of a plane tomorrow, hopefully if the weather stays away, or good, should I say. <laughs> well, look, our fingers are crossed that it will be reasonable. Where are you doing it? Where are you going up in the sky? Um, we're going to Offaly, yeah. in County Offaly, and um, it's the Skydive Club down there, and... Um, it just depends on the weather. Like now at this point, we're just hoping that the weather stays clear and it's a good day and we just, we get on with it and get it done. Mm. Um, and then after that, like it was all, we were raising money for carrot cancer as well um, as part of it. Yes, I've seen that uh, you've set yourself a target of 10,000 and you're what, up at 8,000 or so at the moment. How can people support you? Um, through a GoFundMe page, it's called Amy Skydive for Carrot Cancer. Um, you can donate whatever you can, and there's some local shops in Carrick Macross here that's also supporting us. Um, that you can, you'll see the. Ah, the they've uh, they've been great to you, haven't they? And you want to give yeah. something back now. They've been with you all the way, supporting you, and they do a great work. I know that. I really do yeah. want to give them a shout out. Carrick Cancer, they're brilliant. So it's Amy's skydive for Carrick Cancer on GoFundMe. You can help push Amy across that ten thousand euro target. You're going to achieve it. I'm I'm sure easily. Are you yeah. a little bit nervous about this? Absolutely, yeah. No, I am. I, I, I've been brave so far, but now this is a new fear oh. that's coming into me. But what the hell? It can't be any worse than last year, can it? It can't indeed. So none of you have ever done anything like this before of uh, the, the, uh, the, the group going up? Yeah, no, this is everyone's first, first time. Skydive. Wow, yeah. good yeah. on you, good on you. Well, I'll tell you, it takes guts. I couldn't do it, to be honest with you. I wish <laughs> you well tomorrow, but with the uh, last year that you've had and come through, well, look, at this is just another uh, step on the path for you, simple Absolutely. as that. You've been great, and I'm delighted for you uh, that things have turned out so well, and I wish you health and happiness for the future and all will go well I'm sure tomorrow Thank in you. Offaly good luck to you Amy Thank you so much thanks not at all thanks for joining me on the show God bless you Bye. Amy Keenan there a lovely lovely lady isn't she went on with the wedding there was 18 added in the back garden just shows you uh, it really does Geraldine's been on to say will Joe be looking for any helpers Geraldine wants to know she's available Joe to help you with that new industry that's coming to Anagas and the cottage building and there's more on besides about it God Joe you've really stirred it up that's for sure anyway we're going to stir it up again tomorrow on late lunch because let me grab the old diary you know my diary that I have spaced exactly and printed in blue in the same colour biro Miss Walsh. Anyway, tomorrow on the show, I'm after getting a number of fingers from the other studio. I just can't count. We're many weather there. Anyway, Colin McKeever, a Jarvie in New York City, is joining us tomorrow. Tara Walker, yes, she's going to concentrate on veg in the garden this time round. And Connor Hughes, involved in the dramatic sea rescue, joins us also. And he wants to give a shout out to some generosity he's received for his charity. And more besides, because the more besides is you. We want you with us tomorrow. But coming next, on LMFM with the drive it's Eddie Caffrey he's raring to go stay with us see you tomorrow at half one
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.